0: You are listening to the SCC Cast, weekly teaching and preaching from Springview Community Church. Find us on the web at www.springviewcc.org. We are located at 12881 Andersonville Road in Davisburg, Michigan. We welcome you to come as you are to experience a friendly worship setting with biblical preaching, teaching, and application. Now, Here's our guest speaker. While you're turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17, I want you to know that these are difficult days for many people. And they are trying to get through. And the level of uncertainty that people are living with is taking its toll. I don't know how fatigued you feel. It varies by the day and the week. And then on top of the fatigue with the virus and the pandemic, then we have uh, situations like this past week that continue to test us as people, as people of God as people of this country. We need to be praying. We need to be diligent. We need to be self-disciplined. And we need to be seeking the face of Christ. Luke chapter 17, let me read verses 11 through 19 with you this morning. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests, and as they went, They were cleansed. One of them. When he saw that he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him for he was Samaritan. And Jesus said, We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. I got a call the week before Thanksgiving, and, well, a few weeks before Thanksgiving, actually, actually, And Pastor Ben said, you know, I'm going to be out of town. I wondered if you'd come and speak. I said, no, that's, that's Thanksgiving Sunday. That's the week of Thanksgiving. said, so be, I'd be happy to come. I, I drove up that morning, and there was nobody here. I drove all the way from Ann Arbor, nobody here. I thought, well, in all fairness, I'm going to take that same message and give it to you now. (laughs) Teach some people a lesson. So we didn't pre-announce I was going to be here today, so. There are some passages, that didn't really happen, you should know by now that I, There are some passages in Scripture, some verses in the Bible that are difficult. I just tell you, there's, there's, and, and, for example, the book of Leviticus. How many of you have ever done a verse-by-verse study of the book of Leviticus? Not I me. Mean, That's just hard. I think of the Book of Revelation. I've I've never done a series on the Book of Revelation. I don't I don't get it. I get how it ends. And I've preached on the letters to the seven churches. I can make good there's good stuff there that I understand, but I there's no Daniel. I mean man, if you if you dare to preach on Daniel, I mean I get the lion's den. I uh, I mean, there's, there's, I guess there's some people who are a lot smarter than I am who would tackle Daniel, but uh, not me. Nahum, how many of you ever studied the book of Nahum? You know what Nahum's about? Nahum is about God's judgment on Nineveh. It's just very encouraging reading. (laughs) After Jonah had been there, and supposedly they repented, but then they weren't doing so well, and Nahum is three chapters of judgment on Nineveh. Just I'm not preaching through that stuff. It's too hard. I don't get it. Now there are some other passages that are really simple. I mean, they're they're just easy. Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just stop, right? You get that. It's simple. It's right there. John 11:35. Man, if you don't understand John 35, you need help, serious help. Can you, can you quote John 11:35? 35? I can quote that one. Jesus wept. I and mean, you got you to get that. Simple. John 3, 16. How much simpler could it be? God so loved the world. Gave his only son. Easy. Now, what do you think is the main big idea in the passage I just read that I was going to give to you on Thanksgiving Sunday What do you think? If you had to summarize it in five words or less, what is the big idea of this passage? Who wants to volunteer? Because I don't want a chaos here. Anybody? You could summarize the big idea of this passage in five words or less. Give Give it a shot. That's good preaching, huh? (laughs) that's good anybody else want to echo and say yeah it's pretty pretty good Thanksgiving got that right got that what do you think would be the relevance or the application of this passage in five words or less relevance to you and me Today, this culture application. Anybody? Anybody got any clue? Any clue what application or relevance this passage would have on your life and mine today? Anybody? Everything comes from God, and we should be. Super teaching, Jack. You got it. I think I can go now. Oops. You' gonna have to come up with a little bit of filler. You know the big idea? You know the application? Let's see if we can't learn a couple more things and work through this passage together. And to help us do that, let's work our way through the context, which is always important. And I want us to see an outline this morning. Let me give it to you, and I'll give it to you. You can make notes of it if you like. The first thing is we're going to see a significant statement. Boy, is this nice. Have we dedicated this whiteboard yet? A significant statement. Then we're gonna see number two, a hypothetical illustration. I'm gonna abbreviate, hypothetical illustration. Three. Hang on. Three, a transforming experience. A transforming experience. And then number four, we're going to look at the conclusions. And since I've had since before Thanksgiving to work on this, We'll, we'll get a couple more minutes out of it. Go back in chapter 17 as we look at a significant statement in verse 5. Verse 5. It says here, pick it up in verse, well, let's go to verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. Woe to that person through whom they come. In other words, somebody causes somebody else to sin, to fall prey to sin, to become captive to sin. On a scale of 1 to 10, Jesus says it's pretty serious. It's so serious, if you're the one that caused that, it'd be better for that person to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their. This is not pretty. I would liken it just in a very small sense somebody has COVID knows it doesn't know it they cause somebody else to get COVID and they die from it that'd be, a, that'd be an awful right? right? I mean I don't like this pandemic I, I don't like wearing masks but I, I don't want to hurt somebody else I don't want to unknowingly Jesus said, watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. If your brother sins, you rebuke him. And if he repents, you forgive him. And if he sins against you, how many? Seven times. Seven times in what span of time? Are you going to wear me out? Seven times in one day. You're going to wear... And you and he comes and says, I repent, you forgive him. And here's the statement. The apostle said, Lord, increase our faith. I read that and I thought, and I want to what would cause them to say, increase our faith? What would what did what just happened here that they want more faith? Now, you're astute people here. You understand that faith is not a quantity, right? You know that. Faith is more of a quality. They want they increase our faith. That's a very significant statement. I asked myself, what what do they want? What do they want more faith for? Well, Maybe when you consider somebody coming to you seven times in one day, um, I might need a little more faith to forgive them again. I've thought about that, and and I've thought about verse one. And boy, the responsibility, the quality of life that you never cause another person, man. I don't. I don't want to fall prey to having a millstone kind of scenario. That, turn with me back a few pages to Luke chapter 11, would you? Luke chapter 11. And nobody's in a hurry this morning. we got kids taken care of. They're down nobody's in a hurry, so I'll, I'll just take my time. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying, and when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, what caused them to say, teach us to pray? Well, you know what caused that, right? Just before this, what took place? They they were with Jesus when he was praying. They said, teach us to pray. Is that not a significant statement? It's just like here. It's a significant statement. And look what happens after that. He gives them some instructive, verse 2 through 4. And then verse 5, he says, now suppose... And he tells them a little story. We call them parables or stories, right? So something happens. They make this statement. Jesus gives a little instruction. And then he says, suppose, and tells them a story. Got it? Turn back to chapter 17 and guess what we see. Ha! Something happens. They make a statement. Jesus gives a little instruction, verse six, and then in verses seven through ten, what does he do? Suppose and he tells a story, same pattern. Well, let's look at this little story, verse five. Following verse seven, Jesus says, suppose one of you, now you take that word suppose, okay? other translations what's the word there anybody else have anything other than suppose okay let me give it to you literally okay this literally is like saying can can you imagine something like this happening and of course you can okay Can you imagine waking up on a mid-January morning and finding two inches of snow on your car and it being cold outside? Of course you can. Of course. All right? Suppose. By the way, I have all kinds of questions about verse 6. I have all kinds of questions about verse 6. It talks about Faith, because they've asked about faith, right? They've made that statement. He talks about a mustard seed. And what do you know about a mustard seed? Wise, well-taught, astute people like you. What do you know about a mustard seed? Its dominant characteristic is what? They taste terrible. They're very, very small. But he says, if you had... This much faith, you could say to a mulberry tree, what do you know about mulberry trees? Not much. Anybody have a mulberry tree in their yard? Really? Blessings on you. You're the envy of everyone in your neighborhood. A you could say to a mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Trees obeying, strange. Why would you want to move a tree from your backyard into the middle of a lake? i got all kinds of questions about that. My conclusion, though, amidst all my questions is, that would be pretty amazing. That'd be pretty amazing. Especially because what we don't, generally understand about mulberry trees in that day, at that time, in that culture was that a mulberry tree had a very extensive root system. And the rabbis held that the roots of a mulberry tree would remain in the earth for 600 years. A very, very extensive root system, so to uproot a mulberry tree was deemed virtually impossible. This would be an overwhelming miracle. How's that for faith? All right, let's look at this hypothetical situation. Verse 7, suppose, just imagine, okay? Just imagine. We have a master... And we have a servant. And so we ask ourselves, what are the roles, what are the expectations of masters and servants? It's not a trick question. It's not a trick question at all. And in fact, the word servant here, some of you will know, is the word doulos, which is usually translated what? slave if you had a servant what do servants generally do what's the role and expectation of a servant tell me it's right here what do they do they take care of the master by doing plowing in the field right looking after the sheep Cleaning the house, washing the clothes, preparing the meals, getting the bed ready, getting the, the servant does whatever the master wants. And by the way, there are some people, I'm not one of them. If you are, God loves you. I do too, but I think you're wrong there are some people who want to glorify and magnify the role of a servant that is really a member of the household and is really part of the family, and we should really liken this to employment. Some of you may want to liken your employment to that of being a slave and God help you. But I don't think that's even close, our concept of employment, to the concept of being a slave in the first century (laughs) because slaves could be bought and sold. They could be beaten, okay? And if you getting that in your employment, you need to switch jobs quick. Now, what's the role of the master here? Well, there are some people who wanna glorify this and say, well, you know, the master basically does look out for the servant and, and to really nurture and take care of the servant, make sure that they're doing fine. Well, what's the role of the master here? Give directives to the servant. (laughs) Okay? Suppose you've got a servant and they've been out looking after the sheep or the livestock and the gardening. Would the master say to the servant when the servant comes in from the field, why don't you sit down and take it easy? Now, would the master say that and everybody hearing this story would immediately think what? Absolutely not. Would he rather not say, wouldn't he say this? You get my dinner ready. You get yourself cleaned up before you wait on me because I'm going to have my food and my drink. And after that, maybe, (laughs) maybe you get to eat and drink. And everybody said, yep, he'd say that. Verse 9, would he thank the servant? And everybody listening would say what? No, why not? Because he's a servant. And he's a master. Stick with me this morning. I'm going to make you think, but stick with me. It's a hypothetical, but it's really very common, realistic experience. And we get to verse 11. By the way, the key, one of the key phrases is the end of verse 10, duty, keyword, duty. By the way, you can kind of glorify that if you want, but what happens if the slave or the servant doesn't do their duty? What's the repercussions of that? beating, being sold, separated from your family. If you had family, the the significance of that and the consequences would be severe. Verse 11, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And at first reading, you'd almost think there's no connection between verse 11 and verses 7 to 10. But you're too smart to think that. And he traveled along the border, and as he was going into the village, 10 men who had COVID met him. And they social distanced. And they called out in a loud voice, Stay away! Stay away! Stay away! No. How many of you understand leprosy? Have some idea about leprosy? What's your understanding of leprosy? On a scale of 1 to 10, how serious is it? Flesh-eating disease. It's pretty nasty. It's pretty nasty. And mark this down. Leviticus 13 to 14 has some very extensive and detailed regulations and a process that included sin and guilt offering and sacrifices and seeing the priest and being deemed clean or still unclean uh, is very extensive this leprosy thing very very serious matter how serious on a scale of 1 to 10 it is virtually a death sentence. There is no cure. Why is it that they are calling out in loud voices? Because they have been ordered and it is known you have you can't live here anymore. You, you have to stay away lest somebody else get what you have and you give them a death sentence. It's almost somewhat similar to verse 1. Almost. I read that since the giving of the Mosaic Law, it's believed that no Jew was ever healed of leprosy. Rabbis taught that only the Messiah would be able to heal a Jewish leper. Verse 14, we see that we have a cleansing. So amazing. Amazing. They cry, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests, which was required for them to be acclimated and assimilated back into society. And as they went, they were cleansed. How many of them? All ten. Cleansed. No more signs, no more evidence. All cleansed. And here's that word, How many come back and give thanks? Just one. So I asked myself, why only one? Why only one? Man, if we went into the hospital today and there were 10 people on ventilators in ICU with COVID and we went in and and they said, oh, Jack, have mercy. I said, you're all cleansed. And all 10 immediately were well. How many of them you think would be thankful? Seven? All ten. How come only one was thankful? That's my question. And it's plagued me since before Thanksgiving. By the way, verse 19, we find out that while all ten were cleansed outwardly, Only one got cleansed inwardly. By the way, who had more faith? Who had the most faith out of the ten? Huh. All right. Significant statement. Hypothetical illustration. Transforming experience. What's the conclusion? Be thankful. Yeah, I'm going to take it maybe a little further than that. Notice verse three. Jesus said, "Watch your self." By the way, did you know that most of us are pretty good at watching others? <laughs> pretty quick to assess and evaluate and critique and compare and condemn. Jesus said, watch yourself. Watch yourself. Why would he say that? Because he knows the tendency is for us to watch other people. Now, we had in the hypothetical, right? We had a master and a servant. In actuality, what we have is Jesus in this story. And who do we have over here? of the disciples. Now you would never 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 think that they could get confused as to who they are and what their role is, right? You would never think that. <laughs> never think that. Right? You I've I've taken you through the passage where they had an argument amongst themselves, right? And what was their big argument, and what was it about? Which of them, which of them was what? Yeah. We all have this issue. It's right at the very core of our being. And here's, what's, here's what's ironic. Go back to verse 4. Who do you think the disciples are going to relate to in verse 4? Are they going to be the ones that are saying, I forgive you? Or are they going to think they're the ones that are going to have to what? Express humility seven times over in one day for offending a brother. Who do you think they related to in that little? Oh, you know. The The same person you and I relate to when we read that. Our first inclination is to think we're who? We're the ones that are going to have to have more faith to forgive you lowly people who keep sinning. Hmm. And when Jesus talks to them in verse 7 and says, suppose one of you, and who are they going to relate to here? Who do you think they're going to? They don't see themselves as the servant, do they? Oh, no, no, no. We're the ones that have the servants. Oh, Fascinating. At the end of that paragraph, Jesus takes it and does what? Flips it upside down. <laughs> Fellas, just in case you're missing this, you, When you have done all you're supposed to do and when you have served the master and when you have done your part and when you have sacrificed, you say what? I'm a servant. I don't deserve thanks. I don't deserve anything. Now we get this story. Why is it? Perplexes me. Perplexes me. Why is it? only one out of ten came back to be thankful. Here's my theory. Because the other nine figured that's the duty. If you go back and look at Luke 4... 18 and 19, the expectation of the Messiah when the Messiah would come was to heal the sick, to free those in prison. That was the expectation. When someone fulfills your expectation, what do you say? You were supposed to. When the servant comes in from the field, you don't have to thank the servant. That's what he was expected to do. That's what he was supposed to do. That was his duty. Is it possible, is it feasible that the people of Israel had an expectation of the coming Messiah that he would do for them what they expected him to do? I don't have to give thanks. Jesus, Master, Messiah, if you claim to be the Messiah, you have mercy on me. That's what you're supposed to do. You say, Jack, that's twisted. Man, that's twisted. You got it mixed up, man. Right. Right. Please write this down. You know what they didn't expect of the Messiah? They didn't expect him to die. That's why the disciples included, when Jesus told them he was going to the cross, what did they say? Oh, no, 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 no. No, that, no. We will never let that happen. Jesus reverses roles. In verse 12, who do you think the disciples identify with? Who do you think of all the 10 lepers? Who do you think the disciples kind of relate to? I can tell you who they don't relate to. You know. Who who aren't they going to relate to? What do they think about Samaritans? What? Didn't like them. Didn't like them. <laughs> not not you. We don't go there. We don't talk to you. We hate you. You have you have nothing to do with us. And what does Jesus do? Don't hear him say, increase our faith now, do you? Here's the response for this passage. Number one, every one of them should acknowledge their need. They have sinned. There is no cure. And they need to call out to Jesus for what? Mercy. They have no cure. There is no hope. They are all, all we like sheep, right? We're under the death sentence. They need to obey Jesus by faith. You increase your faith, you call out to Jesus, admitting your need. You accept his sacrifice, not your good deeds. You repent, you turn around, just like the Samaritan turned around, went to Jesus. You need to turn around and go to the cross. And when you do that, what will happen? By faith, what will happen? what happened to the Samaritan. He was literally made whole. And when you repent and you turn around and you go to the cross, you will be made whole and you will be restored. restored. Don't be like the nine where you think the Messiah will serve us. Don't think like the nine. His duty is to fulfill our expectations. Oh no. The Samaritan, like the servant says, I am unworthy. I deserve nothing. Instead, the disciples had this thing in them that said, well, maybe I'm the greatest. Maybe I'm the greatest. Well, look what I've done. The Samaritan, I deserve nothing. You shouldn't be talking to me. When Jesus interacted with the Samaritan woman, what did the disciples say? Has he lost his mind? What is he doing? The Samaritan demonstrated great faith, and he was forever grateful. And the disciples said, increase our faith. Mm. And they saw a real picture of it, didn't they? It sure wasn't what they expected. Some passages are really difficult. Some passages are really simple. Maybe this one isn't so simple. Lord Jesus, we confess today that there's a lot we don't understand. There's a lot these disciples didn't understand. And yet they wanted faith because boy if they had faith they might if they had more faith they might have more power they might be able to do the miraculous but you showed them you showed them the miraculous but it sure wasn't what they expected help us to get it today help us help us not not to see ourselves as master, but to see ourselves in our rightful place and to think that in Christ, our friends were adopted into the family. Seal these thoughts to our minds and hearts today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.